Hello and welcome to the podcast. My guest today is Nick Dunn. Nick is an ex-paratrooper with one para and a veteran of Afghanistan and Iraq, where he miraculously survived being blown up by an IED before leaving the army and going on to become an anti-piracy specialist on commercial shipping routes in the Arabian Sea, Indian Ocean and the Bay of Bengal. Nick was later subject to a tragic miscarriage of justice that led to him being imprisoned unjustly in India as one of the so-called Chennai Six, as the world's press called them. Nick wasn't just innocent of any crime, there actually was no crime. Stationed on an anti-piracy ship to protect vessels against Somali pirates, he and several other anti-piracy guards on a U.S. merchant marine vessel were arrested and falsely charged with intruding into Indian waters and the possession of illegal weapons. Nick lost four years of his life, trapped in a legal nightmare in prisons across Tamil Nadu in the southeast of India, thousands of miles from his home in Newcastle and his family. He spent the majority of his time in appalling conditions at Chennai Prison with extremely limited contact to the outside world. He has a new book out now entitled Surviving Hell which I highly recommend. Nick's lifetime of experience as an elite British soldier gave him the mental strength not to buckle under all the pressure he endured during these years of political and legal wrangling while he was stuck in prison. Super excited for this one today. Please welcome Nick Dunn. Your story is a, is a shocking miscarriage of justice, heart-wrenching, tragic. Um, it, it ended up costing you years of your life in an Indian prison, convicted yeah. of this crime you did not commit. Can you tell us how this actually all came about? Um, well, I was doing maritime security uh, for the company Adventfort in 2013 and i was actually on a client vessel uh, sailing to sri lanka from muscat and within a couple of days we were sent an email from our company saying we are to not get off at sri lanka but get off on the same guard ohio which is a, a support vessel for the company um basically a kind of a, a way of saving money but it's not really because you've got to maintain the ship, et cetera, et cetera. But it's uh, basically a, a floating armory platform vessel uh, that the company had. And we boarded that and we spent a few days still operating. And then we needed fuel and provisions. So we obviously stopped operating and because India was the nearest country to us they were doing their liaisons with a with the people on land to sort the fuel and provisions but um at the time there was a cyclone and uh we under maritime law you can seek shelter in the neighboring country so we kind of because there was a cyclone we kind of took shelter in india and one one evening we were taking fuel and on board and then I went to sleep and then the twelfth of October two thousand thirteen I woke up to 
being informed that we're being boarded by the Indian Coast Guard and we were making a, an approach to the port of Tutakarin. And I kind of questioned uh, my superior and said, why is this vessel going so slow if we're only this far out? And the reason by us going so slow is because when we entered the port of Tutakarin, we had a massive welcome committee. There must have been about over 50 plus on that port side. So when there's reports of them intercepting us, well, that's lies because we were we were at, at anchor. And interception is when you're moving. <clears throat> so that they just fed their media with lies. They said we were selling weapons to terrorists. We were staging a Mumbai-style seaborne attack on the nuclear power plant in Tamil Nadu. They, were, they had every media and different organisations on that port side. You name it, they were there. And some of these companies came from as far as Mumbai. And you're thinking, how did you get here so quick? Just to, oh. stop, just to stop you very quickly, Nick, just to, so, so that people who, who aren't up to speed on the story, in a nutshell, you were there doing anti-piracy work. You're a former uh, parachute regiment, so in the UK, yeah. the parachute regiment, um, similar to the US Rangers, I would say. Yes, yes. Uh, you support the SAS, the SBS, perhaps, as well, sometimes. That's correct, yes. Yeah. So very elite um, unit, that you, regiment, the parachute regiment. And you'd finished that, I believe, and, and you decided to go into security uh, on maritime, maritime security, so on p protecting against piracy. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, so it would uh, be like uh, Captain Phillips style in the film Captain Phillips, yes, think, yes. Tom Hanks. This is the type yes. of work you were doing. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, and even he, he supported us as well, the real Captain Phillips, literally... And my local media went over to America to interview him. Wow. And, oh, well, did a, a video link interview. And he supported us. And he quite bluntly stated, my vessel didn't have piracy, uh, anti-piracy guards on, hence why we were boarded by pirates. Mm -hmm. Shipping lanes are that dangerous for piracy. We need maritime security uh, personnel on these client vessels and he was totally for us doing our job um, of course, yeah because it's just for those who don't who are thinking of piracy as you know blackbeard and this is a genuine um danger to oil tankers to that's correct yeah even um sailing boats everything but if you imagine an oil tanker and it's got millions and millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars worth of oil on it. And these pirate, these Somali pirates, it's their job. They go, they grade the thing, they t keep everyone prisoner until they get paid millions and millions of dollars. I think someone said it was billions of dollars that these companies are losing. So it's a totally um, legitimate business and totally 100% sensible to have security on board, as you guys were, were, were doing. Sorry, yes. sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. I'll let you go on. Just, I just wanted to clarify. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, totally correct in what you're saying. Um, the it's been it's been proven. The 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 vessels that have armed guards on may get attacked, but 
there's no one. There's no success rate on being taken over by piracy while armed guards mm-hmm. are on board. Because they probably see their armed men there. We know that these are X SAS, X um, parachute regiment, X whatever special forces potentially. They they won't even try it, would they? <laughs> well, you'd be surprised that uh, these uh, these uh, pirates are desperate people, and they are they, they take cat, which is a a, a leaf like drug, basically something similar to say cocaine or something, and uh, and in Somalia, it's a it's one of the poorest countries in the world, and you've got a terrorist outfit Al Shabaab there, and and they're hiring these these potential terrorists, but they're not; they're just people who have got nothing, and they and they, and they want to make a bit of money. They want to put food on. A plate for the family, so I can see where they're coming from. However, they're going about it in a legal way of doing it, and I don't blame them on that. However, um, I was quite fortunate to not be attacked, but I have seen pirates. But they just they were just a watch. They were just basically sat there in a, a skiff. Um, which is just a small speedboat, and they were watching us come down the Red Sea, and they would inform their further on guys who would be hiding hiding around little islands, um, with weapons, grappling hooks, ladders, you name it, rocket propelled grenades, and they would go and see these vessels. And if no, if say one of us security doesn't notice these skiffs, they will assume that the vessel doesn't have security on, and then they'll just radio or phone call uh, down to the other guys and say, "Right, this vessel doesn't have security on. Take it." Mm. There's been reports from friends who I know who have done it, where the vessel where they're going through the IRTC, which is uh, the transit corridor um, that basically is coming at the bottom of the Red Sea which uh, you've got Somalia one side and you've got Yemen at the other and you come out onto the uh, African Sea, African Ocean Arabian Sea etc um, and it's quite, it can be quite dangerous then because you've got little islands and uh, there's been reports where friends that I know have been on a vessel and the vessel behind them has been getting attacked hmm. and they can't do nothing but inform the, say, the near the neighbouring uh, warship that would be around to send a helicopter to intercept these pirates. But with security on board, it's nearly a 100% success rate in deterring piracy. Now, okay, go, going back, so you're saying, you, so just to, that sets the, the, the scene that you were doing absolutely nothing wrong whatsoever. You're doing your job, you're out on this um, ship, and you, they, the Coast Guard, I believe it was, the Indian Coast Guard, comes and starts bringing you in. And as you were saying, there, there are loads of people there who came down from Mumbai and they're slowly bringing you in because they're waiting for all these dignitaries or police or whoever it is that's coming to greet you. So I'll, I'll let you. Go on from there. Sorry, I just wanted to make sure. Well, um, obviously, when we came into port, uh, we were kind of kept in the dark because 
once they boarded us, they never said anything. They just stood there on the bridge of, the, of our vessel and said, go to the port. And then once we once we got a port and we docked, it was like a free-for-all and we had to stop people from getting on the vessel because they would have literally capsized, capsized us. That's how many people were trying to get on this vessel. And we're like, we don't even know who you are. You're not getting on this vessel. Um, and at the time, yeah, everything's up in the air and you, you don't quite know what's going on. But you think when, once kind of the dust settles a little bit, you kind of find out what is actually going on and where these organisations are from. And you think, how are they getting here so quick? someone's informed them. Someone has let them know we are here. And you start on question that you think this might be a setup, that we've been set up for something unknown. And, you, and, and I do 100% believe we were set up to take the fall of what the two Italian Marines done. We were the scapegoat. Simple as that. You have made an example of, to put it on me. Yes, and just, just, just to be clear, these Italian security had been completely reckless, I think it was two years earlier, or a period of time? It was, it was in January 2012. They were totally reckless in what their duties were doing. We, on, on, even on my first ever transit, my team leader got me on the bridge when we were off the coast of India, and he said, as loads of fishing towns were flying all over the ocean, a lot of these fishing vessels are inquisitive to see these big bulk carriers, these big container vessels come to their ports. They are inquisitive. Indians are very inquisitive people. You don't start putting rounds in them just because they're getting close, you, in maritime, you've got so much to do before you even pull the trigger. It's not like where you're in the army or you're doing security on land where it, it is literally split-second reactions. In maritime, you've got a long way to go before you start pulling the trigger, unless they pull the trigger first. Then that gives you the green light to return fire. But standing there with a weapon above your head is basically saying we are on guard get away mm -hmm. then you would do warning shots these people didn't even do this and they killed two indian innocent fishing men and caused an absolute nightmare for any other foreign personnel going and doing maritime security and, and the thing is though they weren't private they were working for their country as Italian Marines. Hmm. So this, so that event created a diplomatic incident, which yes, yeah. And then by the you appear, it seems like the, the Indians were then desperate to um, re avenge that incident, and it didn't matter who it was. And it's very Correct. tragically, it seems they chose you, yourselves, um, in your case, to. Um, just and that's why they had all these people there, wasn't it? Because they were yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, they they had all these people, and once we started boarding 
they started warning us. We were taking them to the weapons and showing them the kit and equipment. Because we had ceased operations, all of our weapons, which are always in the uh, pellet boxes anyways, well, during times of operations, you're always in in and out of the room anyways because you're sending people on transit. But we were not operating at the time, so the 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 door was fully locked. And the tactical deployment officer, he had the, the key to get in. Obviously, the captain, he has the final say in anything. He can overrule anything. He can go in that room if he requires, but he didn't need to go in that room. So we had to take the police and all these different organisations into the uh, room where all the weapons were stored, all the ammunition, do all the counting, check all the paperwork with the weapons, and every organisation was going, there's nothing to be had here. We're, we're wasted our time. Let's go back to Mumbai, for instance. Because There's nothing you, here. And the reason being, because everything was legitimate, you had everything within the law, you had the paperwork, everything was, there was no crime. The, exactly. All the paper, and the six weapons, the six G3 weapons that the Indian police said were illegal, them said weapons were in Mumbai one month previously to being arrested. All paperwork ticked and correct. So how can you one minute say them weapons are legal and then next minute illegal? You cannot do that. So, but we, and I've been told many times by people of the of Tamil Nadu and people who are not from Tamil Nadu, you are in the worst state in India. You are in the most corrupt state in India. You are in a state where they cannot get to grips that UK used to rule India. It's so anti-British down in Tamil Nadu, you have no idea. They, the, the former chief minister, Jaya Leifa, was so anti-British, she basically, according to news reports, told the then... Prime, the then Prime Minister of India, no, I will not release the men. I don't care what Barack Obama says, because we were working for a US company. And apparently Barack Obama said to Mohan Singh, who was the Indian Prime Minister at the time, release the men, release the vessel. She turned around and went, no. That so, so Obama actually got involved as well. This, this is apparently on the internet, and she mm. uh, there's a video on YouTube somewhere with her saying, "I will not hand the, the U.S." because they always used to refer us to as the U the U.S. ship. Mm. They always went, "You are American," and we're like, "I'm not American. Mm. I'm mm. English. I'm British." Etc. They that was you are the U.S. ship. Their media, their newspapers. It was always titled U.S. ship. Hmm. Gosh. Okay. And so, basically, they've they've taken you prisoner. You've got absolutely nothing uh, wrong. You've done absolutely nothing wrong. Everything is above board. All document documentation in place. As you as you stated, Tamil Nadu. I think even within India. Yes, it's considered it's, uh, the you, it's considered the place you wouldn't want to end up. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's basically t 
people from India telling me you are in the worst state in India. You, you, you're basically in the lion's den here, and I feel sorry for you. Mm. If you were elsewhere, well, the, yes, you may have still been boarded by the Coast Guard, and once you got to uh, the port, once they saw everything was in order, you would have been released. Um, I do believe that still may have happened. However, I bet you now regrets it while he's sat home in Ukraine, but the captain of our vessel refused to speak to the police. And when he did speak to the police, he used to scream and shout at them. I do believe if he had spoke to the police in a civil manner, things might have been just a quick, simple, put money on the table, make this disappear, which happens and happens around the world. And I know a, a good friend of mine who was in the same port who had to ring his company to do a bribe deal. That's what happens in this part of the world. Mm. Bribery is like a second nature to these people. And I'm, and I'm 100% not ashamed to say that. And I'm not scared to say that. That's what happens in that part of the world. Bribery is like second nature. That could have easily happened to us. They could have said, right, how much do you want to make this go away? Mm. Even even though we've not done anything wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's anything, any reason whatsoever for you not, not to feel like you can say that because it's not your, um, you know, it's not your fault that it's like that. It's just the nature of how things are done there. So, yes. so I wonder whether that, that might have been... I wonder if that's part of what happened. So obviously you were you were very sadly banged up for um, years. How, yes. how long was it before you actually then were... I know that there was a process and you were on remand, then you were on bail, and then you were found guilty, shockingly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, how long in total was it that you were in prison? About two and a half years. Wow. So out of the four years, one month, we did two and a half years prison time. So we initially done... Uh, six months or so in remand. We got bail. We did bail for three months. The case got quashed. This is the only time where I will openly be ashamed of my British government. Hmm. During the, the quash, the police have 90 days to appeal. That's three months hmm. of sitting in a country as a free man no wages coming in. That's three months of my family having to put a roof over my head to put food on the table. My family's a thousand pounds worth of debt just to keep me surviving. And it's not like I was living a, a high party lifestyle. Yes, I did go out and enjoy myself. You have to in those situations. You have to keep a, a positive mental attitude. And if that means me going to a, a nightclub and having a party and a jiggy jiggy uh, good time, then so be it. But I was certainly not going to sit in a, in a hostel room feeling sorry for myself. Oh, uh, I. I I, I, I met some great, fantastic Indians there, especially the guys who were working in the gym. I basically was, you could have more or less, people could have more or less looked at me and gone, that's a, a, a white Westerner working in India. Mm. And, a lot of, and a lot of Indians 
ask me, what are you doing here? And I used to just tell them a fib and say, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a personal trainer and I'm going around uh, India checking gyms out, seeing how the bodybuilding industry is over here in India because I didn't want them to know really much about the real reason why I was in India because certain people can take a, a different outlook at it, mm. especially where weapons are concerned. But, like, these weapons were legitimate, everything was legitimate. The British government said when we put, when we had a meeting in the embassy during the 90 days, we had our Indian legal team give us letters signed by them stating Indian law during the 90-day rule, we do not require to be in India. Yeah. We had a meeting at the embassy, people came from New Delhi, and we put these on the table and said, get us home now. And this is, like I said to you, this is the only time that I will, I, I wouldn't say I'd use the word slag, mm. but be a bit upset with how my government dealt with it, but they turned around and said, we'll see if they appeal. And we looked at them and went, you haven't been dealing with these people like what we have, have you? There is no, let's see if they will appeal. They will appeal. And they're not going to appeal on day one when they know they got off time. So as the days went by, as the weeks went by, as a month goes by, another month goes by, and you're on the last month of the 90 days, and you're thinking, just 30 more days to push? Come on, we can do Because we got the caution in July. So July, August, September, I could have been home yeah. so at the end of October, potentially. Yeah, just just to clarify as well what's happened there. So, you, so the charges were quashed. I think it was right after William Hague... Yes, yes. Because your sister um, was doing a lot of work, and it's it's very well known in the UK, the Chennai Six, which was yes. obviously you were part of that. And eventually, so I think a few of the, the politicians didn't do anything, but your sister drummed up so much uh, attention in the media that William Hague maybe behind the scenes had a word. Your, your, your uh, sentence was quashed. And so now what you're talking, what we've just been talking about is the 90 days when they said, okay, you're free to go, but they didn't give you your passports, I believe. Is that correct? That's, that's correct. We, we, we didn't have our passports. They were still held in court. At this time, we didn't even have our luggage off this vessel. Because if they gave you your passport, if the, if the embassy had gone, come on, uh, Tamil Nadu uh, police, Give back the, uh, the the passports. These gentlemen have been, you know, their charges are quashed. You could have flown back, but the embassy, the UK embassy, did not put that pressure on. No, they, they didn't. Um, and at the end of the day, for us to leave the country, we would we required a. And this goes for every other country around the world, as far as I'm aware. You need a letter of a non-objection certificate from the police. Basically, it's the police saying you don't have a criminal record and we don't object you to leaving the country. And I'm thinking, what? why would we need to require that? We haven't done anything wrong. It just, but they had 90 days and yeah. as the days got close to the 90 days, 
it was it was nitty gritty time. Mm. Um, there was a lot of mixed emotions. So yeah, so just to um, explain what happened, so they they appeal, the Tamil Nadu police appealed. They then by some, bizarrely, because there was no way that you should have been found guilty, if one reads the details of the case, which I have, um, you know, it, it just boggles the mind that they, that they managed to find you guilty. And I think that was a shock for everyone. But yes. t- tell us about what, what it was like when you found out you were guilty. And also, I want to get in, just to, to let people know about the conditions you were in in these prisons during this, this period of time. Well... Once, uh, obviously, all everything had transpired and the case for our trial was happening in 2015, um, January 2016, we every main court date would give it a little, a little nickname call and call it Judgment Day. And we had spent Christmas and New Year in India. I actually was dating an Indian girl, so we went to Bangalore and uh, celebrated New Year there. And then I had to travel down to the Korean on Jan- in January, and January the 10th was the Judgment Day, and we all stood in, in the uh, courtroom. I was the last person to tell because I had media bombarding me, trying to find out if I'd been to court yet, and I'm thinking, I'm going to court now, and it was very hot uh, in the courtroom. There was on one side all of the the prosecution team, and all on the right side was all of our side. The embassies were there, the lawyers were there, and it was a, a nervous, a nervous wait. And we're all we 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 are stood at the back of the courtroom behind a, a bench of sort, standing up. Uh, there was no like fans. Or if the were, they were given off little uh, air as possible, so were quite perspirated at the back. And I remember uh, speaking to one of the Estonian guys, and I said, "Why is all the police lining out at the side of the courtroom for? What's going on here? Why would that be happening?" And then next minute, the judge's uh, assistant stood up and said something. And we're like, eh, what's he said, what's he said? And our embassy girls knew exactly what he said because they went out the courtroom with phones glued to their ear. So they knew what had happened before we were told by our lawyer. And Madame Q. Branch, the woman who robbed me of four years of my life, didn't know how quick enough to get out that courtroom herself as we stood there in, in, a, in a amazement as to what's been said, and I do mention this in my book, and I will never, ever forget our lawyer who came up to us. I've seen scared people in Afghanistan and Iraq. Little children I've seen scared. But to see a full-grown man come up to 35 burly men... <laughs> shitting himself he was absolutely thinking what do I do here and he came up to us and a few of the guys were going come on then tell me what's going on and he he just goes I'm sorry gentlemen but uh, you've been sentenced to five years on weapons offences and and it it felt like someone had just drop kicked into the stomach this is a day where 
we should be going home. The whole trial from September to Judgment Day in January was all made out to make us look where we're going home. Didn't matter what the police done, we smashed it. They couldn't even put on the on the map where our vessel was. They didn't even know where we were. They were told where we were. And the only two people that knew where we where we were that we believe could have informed the police. And one is the second officer. Two is the person representing the company set, uh, setting up all the fuel and provisions. We believe we were set up. So to be told, no, you're not going home, but you're going to prison for five years. It was very shocking. Very shocking indeed. And then after that, they put you, they put all 23 of you into the same cell in the prison. How is that even possible? Well, they've actually got quite big cells there. I, at one point, counted 40 Indians all in one cell at one point because there was a, a there was a list on on the door well next to the uh, door on the wall of all the people in one cell and I counted well I didn't need to count there was it was dotted 40 different people it just went number one two three four all the way down to 40 and names next to it and I was like 40 people in one cell but it, but the thing about Indians to Westerners, they are quite uh, small build people. So, but still, forty people is still too many people crammed in one cell, and to share a hole on the hole in the floor as a toilet, that is quite a substantial uh, amount of people. And you got forty people going back and forth to the toilet, so and it's not the best. Uh, Feeling in the world. <laughs> yeah, and you and you're told you're going to be. That wasn't just like a holding cell. That was for the next five years. Yes, and oh and you got you're in a cell with twenty two other guys, right? Hmm. And and you're thinking it's getting cramped because um, obviously as the days go by, you, you start getting you start able to use the prison shop and. We've got a, an, an amazing uh, British charity for prisoners abroad called Prisoners Abroad. And every so many months, they would put money in our prison account. And without this little bit of money that they put in our account, it would have been so impossible to survive. Because with this money, we could buy toothpaste, toothbrushes, porridge, biscuits, because there was a prison shop and and we would give him a little list and he would go out to the supermarket, he would buy. But you were only allowed certain items. You couldn't, you know, start buying tinned meat and stuff like this and make have a bingangoolie. It was basic stuff that you could buy from a shop if he and the prison allowed it. Um, so... I, 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 I've got a lot of uh, thank yous to prison abro- prisons abroad for giving us the opportunity. But to be in a prison with 22 other guys in a cell, it was very cramped. People were getting heated. People were getting into arguments and and everyone's got different uh, hygiene levels. So it got to the point where 
we were speaking to our embassy and getting them to liaison with the prison and say, look, we need another cell here. We need to be broke down. We cannot survive five years. We'll end up killing each other. And that is the reality. And I will say this to my dying day. You could have put two lifelong best friends who were inseparable in that situation. They will probably hate each other's guts now. And that is the truth. That is the reality of what we went through. And the there were some wars as well in the prison. You were fighting against the Indians. And I think at one point you had to have a proper scrap and then they respected you. Is that, is yeah, that right? Well, well uh, I kind of, I, I instigated it. I started it. So I was kind of, I was kind of flavor of the next couple of months. Um, so I was uh, I was quite well liked with the bunch. So yeah, um, my stupidity put us in a three month compound lockdown. So while people are in lockdown around the world with this pandemic in their homes and they're suffering and thinking they're in a prison, they have no idea what being compound lockdown is in an Indian prison. We were like that for three months. And that was because of my stupidity kicking off with the doctor because I just lost it. I'm not having someone shouting at me for no reason. Instead of just ignoring them and going away and putting a complaint in with a jailer, I kicked off. So other Indians that was in the hospital turfed me out. So I went back to the compound. A couple of guys were were having a smoke and a cup of coffee outside the prison cell and they saw me come like a bull in a china shop. I picked up a, a, a metal pipe and they were like, whoa, 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 what, what's going on? I said, I'm going to kill these. And obviously I'm not going to repeat the words. You can <laughs> I, say it. You can say whatever, but yeah. No, yeah. I, I don't want to bring you back to that moment too much. <laughs> yeah, but I, I kind of was effing and jeffing using quite flowery uh, language and they were like whoa whoa what's going on put that and they were like put that pipe down I'm, I said I'm going to wrap this pipe around their neck and they're like whoa whoa what, what's going on so I kind of told them I was like right okay we'll, we'll come with you and try and sort things out and I was like alright okay so we went me and a couple of the Brit guys we went uh, to the hospital we are kind of just basically going to apologise and say look can we sort this out blah blah and just look at the end of the day, things can get a bit heated or, you know, in the blink of an eye. And and as we're going back to the doctor, one of the Indians kind of confronted one of our guys and I, the noise that, the noise when his head connected with his chin was an amazing, amazing sound to watching an, an Indian just collapse to the bottom of the floor was just amazing. You had to be there to witness it as one of our guys just stuck his nut onto on this Indian guy's chin. It was amazing. It was funny. But that kind of just, it just sparked a massive, massive uh, riot in the in the prison hospital. Um, chairs were getting thrown around, crutches, I was about to get absolutely sparkled with this chair, but luckily the prison guard removed the chair from the Indian because that would have been seriously uh, good night to me. Cause I could have been killed, yeah, because I didn't know about it until I turned round. And then as I turned round, 
I was about to get hit with a crutch. Luckily, I grabbed the crutch before I got hit with it. And then I kind of just grabbed the engine and threw him into a bush. And then I got grabbed from behind, but I didn't realise it was one of our guys and he was kind of extracting me out of danger. But as I was turned, one of the, 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 there was a very tall Indian and he just got his, he just got his sweet on the jaw, just proper dinked us. And I, I, I was stunned, but I was getting bustled out of the hospital and kind of retreated in a in a safe way because it was getting over it was getting out of hand there was there was more indians and the thing is we were outnumbered there was only three or four of us and there was about 20 plus of them and we would have stood and gone to the last man but other indians from different compounds would have came to their defense but after the incident yes the superintendent we explained and she kind of didn't want anything bad to happen to us. So we were kind of under compound lockdown, which was quite hard for a few of our guys that did rebel, which you can imagine people are finding it hard in this pandemic lockdown. Imagine how people would have found it in an Indian prison compound lockdown. It's a lot, a lot harder you weren't allowed to go out and about in the prison and go for a walk around the prison. You were literally stuck in your compound. And, uh, and 40 yeah, degrees, I, I wasn't... 40 degrees C as well. <laughs> yeah, in, in, in the summer one, in the summer, it got to 40 degrees and it was really, really hot that year. And uh, so, yeah, I was kind of a very liked guy for a few months, as you can imagine, but... We all make mistakes and we're, we're all in the same boat. We're all innocent. We're all having our emotions uh, wrecked. We're all missing our families. It was just a matter of time someone lost it. And it happened to be me. I saw the, the I saw, I basically saw my arse and uh, <laughs> bluntly as that and do I regret it? No, I don't. And, he, and after that, we put a complaint into the doctor. And after that, he, he was very nice. And, and we were like, why weren't you like this to the beginning? I bet he was well, nice after that. <laughs> and, we, and we were like, we are, we are not scum. We are not your petty Indian criminal. We are educated Western people. We are professionals. We shouldn't even be here. Treat us with respect and you'll get it back. Treat us like Tom, Dick, and Harry. You'll get you'll get uh, it back in your face. And and you're all very well trained professionals, having all been ex, if not special forces, then parachute regiment, etc. So <laughs> very different from the the normal Indian prisoners, I would guess. I know we're yeah. going, now. I know the time's going on. I just wanted to ask you about the. It was amazing what I saw you built in the prison. You built your own gym. Yes. And you also um, ran. Tell us about if you wouldn't mind, quick, um, if you have time, telling us about yeah, yeah, the run and, and, yes, no and, and the and the and the gym that you created because that was incredible. You all kept fit yes, yes. Um, obviously, my my love is for bodybuilding and and uh, it's for me mental health as well. The the gym for me, it's a big part of my life and it's a big part of yeah, other people's yeah. lives. So. A few of a few of us were just looking for stuff around the prison compound, and 
you, there might have been the odd pole dotted around and we saw flagstones and we we ripped them out the ground and like I said there'll be bits of metal and good job that we had numbers on my hand so we were all taking turns chiseling and they, this took days to chisel a hole in a in a flagstone that were ripped out of the ground so we could shove a pole through or get a branch and then use bed sheets or say we had an old t-shirt rip that and tie it up and like I say I had a spy pen snuck in and started taking pictures of me prison you might have seen seen them if you if you haven't I can easily uh, they're on my Twitter account the pictures oh, um, and we built our own gym and and if you've got the knowledge, the improvisation, you can achieve anything your heart desires. And we made our gym. And yes, on more than one occasion, the prison authorities dismantled it. But it didn't stop us. We built a new one. Where there's a will, there's a way. And we we had a meeting with our embassy and we said, you need to tell the prison to stop dismantling our gym. This is for our mental health. Help and the person was like, Well, what if the Indians destroyed? I said, They will not touch our weights and <laughs> use them as weapons. Yes. yes, we allowed Indian prisoners who wanted to do exercise in our compound, we let them you because we used to leave our weights under the mango tree, which was literally behind our prison cell. And Indians were using them as well, and we, we, we shared. We basically gave them something good. So we were like, we're not these criminals. We are educated men and we are giving the Indians something. Basically, you know, even when we used to make our own food and there was leftovers, we would give it to uh, one of the Indians that we kind of befriended, so to speak, uh, the English-speaking Indians in our compound. And they would, they, they would eat it because... I even witnessed that the prison food deteriorate, <laughs> you know, and it's it's mad watching a prison prison food deteriorate. You just you 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 start and question, wow. Imagine if we were on that, we wouldn't have been walking out that prison. We would have been carted out that prison. Good job we decided to cook for our own food. Yes, we may not have ate three times a day. It might have just been one. But I'd rather have ate the food that we cooked than what was presented to me if I went down that. It was awful. Now, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an absolutely amazing story. Um, ultimately, you were found innocent. All the charges were th were thrown out or on appeal, I believe. Um, yeah. I'll let. This is a fascinating story it's absolutely compelling the book i would recommend anyone get this book surviving hell is the name of the book by nick dunn you can get it on amazon i got the kindle um because they'd sold out of the hardback but i believe the the book is is coming back in um i really appreciate you taking the time today nick 
Um, no problem. Have you now? I know you said you were you were going back to you initially, and that's part of the, the the sort of tragedy of this whole case. You you were going to train in close protection, I believe, initially. But you, because you were just a young uh, a young man, you didn't have the funding to do that. So you, hence why you went for the maritime security. Yes. Did you? So, did, I was going to say, did you go back and train for that now, or what? What's the plan for you now? Um, well, I, I did. I did get the chance to do um, my close protection course as well before I before my whole incident in India, but the job opportunities was maritime that was presented to me, and um, so I could have gone to Iraq, I could have gone to Afghanistan. However, my path at that time was maritime. They were opportunities that I was given. So God knows what may have happened if anything happened at all if I went if that path was differently but it, it, unfortunately it wasn't I well, no, no one could have foreseen what happened to us no one I was just one minute doing my job next minute I was in an Indian prison fighting for my life fighting for survival and basically putting all my military traits to the test and the biggest test was keeping it together mentally when you're 5,000 miles away from your family mm. and you had no one but yourself to get you through it. Yes, we're, we were all together, but we all come from different backgrounds and not everyone has that emotional side. Uh, but yeah, I, I did come find with a couple of the guys and you just, you just have to grin and bear it, unfortunately. And that's, mm. And the love for my family and the support that me, my sister did and the amazing support from everyone around the world that took the time to write to me in prison spurred me on and they kept me going. And and I will continue to say this, I didn't and couldn't do it alone. I had to have help and the help came from everyone's amazing support. Well, it's a, it's an absolutely incredible story, and the the mental fortitude that you, that you've shown is is incredible. And uh, so, go out, get this book, Surviving Health by Nick Dunn. Nick Dunn, thank you so much. No problem. It's uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. What a story, and what a super nice guy Nick is. Special thanks to Nick Dunn today. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Please go and check out Nick Dunn's book entitled Surviving Hell. You'll find that on Amazon or wherever it is you get your books. You will drill through this story. It's such an exciting read. I just went, I just basically read sort of 25% of the book over four days and then finished it that way. It's, uh, it's well worth listening to or buying if you want to read it. There is an audiobook option as well. Have a great day, people. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.